there were many things as I was growing up that I, I feared. And when I was in medical school, you know, as a medical student, you sort of fear the idea of somebody arresting in front of you and will you know what to do? And when, when you're a cardiologist, you don't fear those things. You know how to treat those things. And I think that was what early on my father taught me, you need to face your fears. And so that made me think, oh, if I can master this, then I don't have to be afraid of anything. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Parallax. Well, this is just not another episode. This is a milestone episode for us. Uh, you know, having started in 2019, this is now episode 75. So it's the platinum episode. And um, it, it's a special one, uh, you know, considering how far we've come. And um, I could not be more honored uh, to have today's guest on the show. Um, you know, she um, represents many milestones and I'm going to enumerate them, um, you know, one after the other. So um, our guest on today's show is Dr. Ichaporia. Uh, the name needs no introduction. She is the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology. She um, is the first Asian American president of the college, um, which you know is is a huge honor and an accomplishment. Um, she's the fifth woman to have led the college, and um, it was the first time in history of the college that the baton for um, presidency of the college was passed on from a woman, so from Dr. Pappas, who I've had the honor of having on the show um, to Dr. Echaporia. So, uh, you know, with that introduction, uh, Dr. Echaporia, thank you so much for doing this for us and welcome on the show. Thank you so much, Ankur. It's such a pleasure to be here, particularly for your platinum uh, episode, as you call it. It's an honor for us to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, like I said in the, in, in, in the introduction, you know, could not have found a better guest to uh, honor this milestone for parallax with you know the 75th episode um so with that you know i think uh, certainly want to start um by asking you um about your journey uh, and i'd like to begin uh, by asking you about the genesis of interest in pursuing a career in medicine uh, so if you if you you know will be kind enough to to tell us as to you know what were some of the uh, milestones for you, you know, in your up upbringing and then school and college and med school. Uh, I think a lot of us would be curious and uh, and ha will have our ears um, uh, in focus, uh, you know, to, to sort of listen to this answer. So first of all, I had a lot of physicians in my family. So uncles uh, that were physicians. And as a, as a, a youngster, I remember when I would go visit my grandmother, my um, uncle, my, my mom's brother had a family practice clinic in front of the house. And I used to remember peeking through the peepholes to watch what he did. So that was sort of the early kindling. But as I, as I progressed, you know, and as I got older, one of the things I was very interested in was just health and being healthy. I used to be a voracious reader. I continue to be a voracious reader. And so I would read all these health books. And I also thought, 
this is some place where you can make an impact. So health was an important issue. This idea of making an impact was important. And then I really enjoy people. You know, when I was in college, I wrote for my college paper and I wrote for my high school paper. I was editor of my high school paper. In fact, uh, my med school advisor did not want me to take the editorship they offered me when I was in college uh, because of the fact that I was going to be pursuing medicine. A really good friend of mine uh, and was a, also with me in journalism. And I remember being at a street corner in college and he said, I can't believe you're going to give up your writing for medicine. And I, what my answer was is, well, I can still be, uh, you know, I can still write when I'm a physician, but I can't be a physician when I'm just a writer. And so not that I'm just demeaning writing, but I think that I, I felt like I would have more impact this way. So that was, that was sort of, and I think the other issue is that I want to see results. So the idea of being able to treat patients and see and get results. And I think maybe that was my initial call to being an interventional cardiologist. I like to see those results, you know, patients in those early days, you know, they came in with chest pain, you put a, a, a you did an angioplasty or put a stent in and wow, they felt better. Um, and so I really gravitated to all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, um, you know, to your point on uh, being able to write as a physician, uh, I mean, and uh, certainly, um, uh, you know, I've known many physicians who are prolific writers and, and authors. And, uh, you know, I think even in our day to day practice of doing things and seeing patients and documenting what we see, um, there's a lot of writing that that physicians do. I mean, whether it's writing progress notes or you know, writing discharge summaries or coming up with a practice plan or, you know, leading um, their respective practices or, uh, you know, being on society boards and coming up with vision statements. I mean, I I think physicians, um, I think being a physician in in and of itself is is sort of a leadership role without a title. You know, that's how I think of it. And then uh, I think one of the central aspects of of being a physician is the ability to articulate and write your thoughts uh, succinctly. So, um, you know, I, again, I mean, I think the, the fact that you uh, took a career um, in, in medicine and, and you've continued to write, I've read, uh, you know, several of your writings in, in journal of the American college of cardiology and, and we can sort of delve into that, but uh, you know, congratulations for pursuing a career in, in medicine and uh, sort of, um, you know, leading the charge and uh, being a, an inspiration to, you know, several women, not only of Asian or South Asian descent, but, you know, women at large um, to to be the beacon um, that, you know, this is feasible for women and uh, women can be successful and can attain the heights of becoming um you know, the, the, the president of the, the leading society of cardiologists in the world. Uh, so, you know, congratulations on all, all, all of that, which I think is a good segue for me to then ask you as to what led you to a path in specifically in cardiovascular medicine after you decided to become a physician um, and, and then also interventional cardiology. I think that you know, there were many things as I was growing up that I, I feared. And when I was in medical school, you know, as a medical student, you sort of fear the idea of somebody arresting in front of you and will you know what to do? 
And when, when you're a cardiologist, you don't fear those things. You know how to treat those things. And I think that was what early on my father taught me, you need to face your fears. And so that made me think, oh, if I can master this, then I don't have to be afraid of anything. And so I think that was one of the early things. But I also did, I remember doing a rotation in medical school with my best friend, who, by the way, is a cardiologist. And we, he and I did this rotation that um, where we had to be on for 24 hours and off for 24 hours. And we took care of, you know, uh, the intensive care unit patients and the attending on there was a cardiologist. And we did, I guess, a, a really great job on that rotation. And subsequently, I was going to go do a plastic surgery rotation, which I thought maybe I was interested in. And he said to me, he said, what are you going on to? And I, I told him and he said, oh, my gosh, you're going from saving lives to saving noses. And that's right. We really did make an impact. So that's when I realized that I really did have a passion for taking care of these patients and, uh, and that I, you know, really enjoyed it. So that was, that was it. And then when I was a a intervention, when I became a cardiologist, when I was doing my fellowship, I literally had one of the attendings take me out and I was, did my fellowship in Washington, DC. And he took me to the French embassy to sit for lunch and sat down and talked to me about the idea of being an interventional cardiologist, because he thought that I had the skill set in the cath lab. And, you know, when somebody goes out of their way to sort of flag something and you already had an interest in it, I think it helps magnify that. And so that really was sort of the early part. And I always was a hard worker. So it, it all fits fit with my personality, sort of the instantaneous results, uh, helping people, the fast pace of it and all of that. So here I am. That's what I did. And I, I don't regret it. I don't ever look back on it. It was one of the best things that I did. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, interventional cardiology is, is gratifying for that reason, as you mentioned, is, um, you know, it's outcomes driven and oriented and, and the results are, are there to see, you know, whether you're deploying a stent to open up a blocked artery or, you know, deploying a valve um, to alleviate um, left ventricular outflow obstruction from aortic stenosis. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think the, the results and the gratification uh, that you see almost instantaneously, you know, whether it's looking at the physiology or talking to the patient is, um, you know, awe-inspiring and very gratifying. Um, and, you know, the fact that you were always, uh, you always gravitated toward, um, you know, helping people being impactful um, and, um, you know, at, at the same time, you know, dealing with acuity and and being in in the middle of of an emergency and and being able to salvage those situations, I think you know that combination. That's what interventional cardiology is. Um, so, you know, I couldn't agree with you more that it's 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 a gratifying field and uh, uh, you know the ability to acutely save patients when they're at their most vulnerable is is something that you um, you know take back with you home as a physician and at the end of the day. Uh, gives you immense, uh, immense peace and gratification. Switching gears here, so I, I need, I, I've, I've wanted, I've always wanted to ask you this, and uh, and I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for me to be able to do so. And that is, uh, you know, involvement um, as a physician or as a cardiologist. I mean, I think I should start as a physician first. If if people from other specialties are listening. 
Um, and that is how important you think it is uh, for physicians to be involved in their respective national professional organizations. I mean, it's um, why do you think it's it's important, and why? How do you think it uh, it it can evolve you as a person, and and also um, evolve you as as a physician? I think I'd, I'd start there, and then perhaps you could focus on what fostered your involvement uh, with with AC or within the ACC. But you know, if you could answer the first question for us. I think it's important for all of us to have a professional home. I look at ACC as my professional home, and I did that as starting in my fellowship. I did my fellowship in Washington, D.C. The Hart House was there. I found myself gravitating there. I felt inspired when I went there, and then I saw emerge, you know, the leadership there, and there were opportunities for growth that I saw. And so that was my original foray. But, but I think that in general, we need, no matter what our practice setting is, the idea of having a community that's larger than just your institution, but recognizing that we are part of a large cardiovascular community that really impacts the lives of patients. It's the idea of purpose and understanding what that purpose is and understanding it in the context of the large world. And that is the reason I think professional societies are important because you meet, inspir- you meet inspirational colleagues, you, uh, you learn about all the different things, and you realize that what we do in cardiovascular medicine is so much more than just what we do individually, but what we do collectively. It's important to have researchers. It's important to have master clinicians. It's important to have the people that do advocacy. It is important to have people that focus in on the business of medicine. I mean, all of it collectively is what we do. And obviously, none of us individually can do any of that. So I like the idea of being part of an organization that thinks globally and makes me realize that my purpose is so much more than just what I do. And I think that ultimately translates into professional satisfaction, uh, happiness. I, you know, when you're a fellow, you and you will relate to this, you have your colleagues, your co-fellows, and you had a great time. You enjoyed each other. Somehow when you go out and practice, you become more competitive, you're into the, you know, we don't have as much time, you lose some of those connections, and somehow some of the joy may be taken out of it. Especially in this era of burnout, I believe that being part of a larger organization like that helps you be connected. So there are communities, right? So at ACC, we, if you're, if you're an interventionist, you can be part of the interventional section, right? If you're a, a cardio-oncologist, you could be part of the cardio-oncology section. So not only are you part of the larger ACC community, which is what, 56,000 members, but you're also part of that smaller community that you can interact with. And then I found myself as a result of it, having friends all over the country. Now imagine a practitioner that's in, you know, a small town, but yet having a network that's that wide internationally and nationally, that is the reason that I think it's so important. It helps you with purpose. It helps you see your global impact. And um, it makes you have, you know, I mean, literally joy in your day-to-day life in terms of your professional life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think the the feeling of community and the feeling of contributing to something that's larger than yourself and your own practice and and your own family is 
something that I think invigorates all of us. Um, and it's, it's something which I believe is innate and inherent to each, each one of us. But I, I agree with you that this sense of community and being able to then share your passion with your peers on a global scale um, and having that impact, which is larger than yourself, is, is, so, is so inspiring. And I think if you get up each day with that, with that feeling in your heart, uh, you know, you'll never experience burnout. Um, and then, so, you know, particularly with the ACC, how, how was your journey from um, being a cardiologist and taking care of patients in, in the throes of an emergency to, um, you know, finding uh, ground and, and, and connection within uh, the American College of Cardiology. I, I'm, I'm certain that I'm certain it must have helped that you did your fellowship in Washington D.C. That's the city where the heart. Is. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it made me connect to what, as I said, my professional home. When when I moved back to California, which is where I'm from, I trained. I did my interventional cardiology at Stanford. I had done my residency there. And when I moved back to California, you know, the West Coast seems quite far sometimes from the East Coast, and um, you can certainly lose connection. And I still recall going to my uh, convocation ceremony where I got my FACC and I went alone. I had never been to a convocation ceremony. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm a, you know, I'm a doofus. I didn't bring anybody. And, uh, but I remember sitting in the audience and watching the, you know, the, at that time, the chair board of governors, who was the secretary of the college lead the procession. Now I didn't know any of those titles. I didn't know who he, he was. But I just remember that. And I remember how inspirational that was. And then he was sort of the master of ceremonies. And I remember thinking, I wonder how he got that job. Never thinking in the wildest dreams that that would be my job. And then when I became chair of board of governors, what, almost 10, 12 years ago, this, you know, I, I did that. And I got to do that in my hometown of San Francisco. I mean, couldn't have been a more memorable experience. And again, when I was there on the podium, I never thought that I was going to be the one that had the chain transformer, that I would get to be the one that made the speech. So, you know, the convocation speech. So I think a lot of it was that I was driven by my passion for all the work that I did. And I gravitated to areas that I had some set competencies. So I loved education. I was on the lifelong learning oversight committee. Somebody asked me the other day, what were some of the pivotal things that that led you more and more into the college. Well, one was I got into the emerging faculty program and that was a fantastic program, not only because you meet colleagues that you grow with, but also the college vests all this leadership training in you um, early on. I mean, it, it was a, it's a weekend course, but it was, it was impactful. I would say the, I, at one of the other things that I did was I uh, literally, I had a conversation with Rick Nishimura about all of my thoughts about education and, I guess I was so passionate that he thought I should be part of the solution since I was creating such a ruckus about it, that I got invited to be on the lifelong learning oversight committee and, and got really involved with the educational pieces. So I think that was probably my sort of second piece. The third, Fred Beauvais was a past president of the college, an incredible man. Um, and Fred had a military background and we, he and I had the opportunity to travel to Egypt together and he, actually, uh, uh, they asked him to say something about the college, and I was closer to leadership than he was. 
And he sent a note saying, no, no, Dr. Ichikoria will be doing that. And they sort of ignored it. And he said to me during a breakfast meeting, he said, why do you think that is? Do you think that has something to do with the fact that you're a woman? And, I, you know, bless his heart, he never thought about any sort of barriers like that. And he insisted that I would be the one that went up to the podium and, and gave my speech. And so I was introduced to a lovely community of my colleagues in the Middle East. And, and I went on to actually uh, later on be asked if I wanted to chair the um, ACC Middle East Conference. And, you know, I, I, can't, I, I, I feel so enriched by that experience. Uh, you know, so that that was sort of the fourth one. But with Fred, what happened was he and I got to talking a lot. Uh, I had a lot of respect for him for what he did. And we when he found out that I had this journalism background and I really liked talking to people and interviewing, he asked me if I would want to be on the Excel editorial board. And so I went to all the big meetings and, uh, you know, ESC, at TCT, AHA, ACC. I always did, but I, I, I went more religiously. And then I did all these interviews at, from people that did late breaking trials. Number one, I'm just curious naturally, but it ended up making, allowing me to be introduced to a lot of people that I became friends with. Um, and, and, you know, interestingly, I went to a cardiovascular summit that the ACC puts on and it was in Las Vegas one year. And there was a group of young cardiologists standing there. And I went up to one of them to introduce myself. And he says, Oh, I know who you are. He says, I do a lot of outreach clinics in, in the Vegas. And he said, when I drive, he said, I hear your voice on Exxon. He goes, it's really nice to hear your voice. And so it, you, he recognized me. And I think that those were all sort of important steps. And I recognized as I did all of that, that I, you know, really enjoyed every aspect of that. So that, that, that's part of the journey. And I always tell, you know, when I give talks about leadership, I always say, it really is the journey and not the destination. And I always felt that because I enjoyed every step of that, the journey. And I continue to be on a journey with the college. I, I, I don't believe that my, that our, the work is done. I mean, every, every president, every member has an opportunity to continue to influence our mission and vision, you know, to improve heart health. Um, and I think that we need to continue on that. And that, that's what fuels me. I, I know that there's still a lot more work to do. I laid down some groundwork and it's nice to see as Dr. Fry, who's the president now takes over. And then, the, 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 you know, each of the presidents, it's like a relay, right? We keep passing on uh, the baton and hopefully we continue to promote and further our mission and vision. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, which, you know, brings me to the, to the next question. And, and that is that what is, what is the one, Maybe this is maybe this is not a fair question, but the the one moment that you cherish the most from your tenure as the immediate past president of the of the ACC, or maybe a few moments that you think were sort of um, you know key um, keystone moments for you um, over this past year, which which will forever be etched you know in your memory uh, as the immediate past president of the ACC. You're right. There are many moments, right? I, I mean, certainly um, Athena Pappas and I came into the presidential time and we had COVID. So the presidential year was very, very different. Most most of the presidents traveled internationally and nationally and had a platform and we were not able to travel. So we had to to sort of figure out ways to influence and and uh, from from our home base. So 
you know, Zoom became kind of our our home and it was the way we traveled all over. I mean, I would travel to Japan sometimes in the afternoon and I was in Saudi Arabia in the morning. And, you know, so it was an interesting experience. It's in the number of um, Zoom calls that I did. But you realize that ultimately we really are, you know, what what, what was it that um, I I think it was uh, the philosopher Aristotle said that man is by nature a social animal, you know, and he, he, he was really talking at that time about a civilized society, but it remains that social interaction and the desire to connect with others was sort of a fundamental in human behavior. And I think that when, when I had some of the zoom calls, we were able to find some, you know, if it was somebody that I had met before, we were able to share pictures even on Zoom and connect. Um, but it made me sort of think hard about how do we continue to connect the community, particularly at a time when we needed connection. And that's how the Coffee with the President was born. And it really was a way for the larger community to be connected, inspired. Um, and I think that that inspiration really became our aspiration during that year. I talked a lot about the issue of um, at my opening showcase that this year was that year of my presidential year was all about grace, right? Grace was gratitude, gratitude for all that we had accomplished resilience because we certainly needed resilience during those difficult times, aspiration, uh, what that meant, courage. We certainly had to show courage and then empathy, right? We had to have empathy for our, our, um, our large community, our patients, our, all of our, team members that worked so, so hard. And then the families that lost people that they loved, all of those things were really important. Um, so I think that, so the, some of the other moments was, you know, because we didn't have the opening, we didn't have a convocation ceremony. I think that I thought it was very um, special for me when they didn't announce my presidency. And I had the Times Square picture in New York city. I, you know, I think that was really kind of an amazing thing to see that because it made it more real because we didn't have any kind of ceremony. I think that um, participating in a lot of the COVID moments, like writing the vaccine statement for our sister societies, raising money for AmeriCares for, um, to help people in need that had needed COVID-related uh, uh, philanthropy, philanthropy, that was really important because I think that connected all of us to say, hey, we have to help our colleagues globally I think that was really important. And I, I think that this concept of hero, right? Hope, efficacy, resilience, optimism. It was so important to encourage our members to be our own hero in 2021. And, and, the, and the more we could share and foster hope, that resilience, optimism, the better we were as a profession, as a community. Uh, and I think that was sort of the mission. And so all, all of those things were part of that memory um, and then I would say that, you know, we really talked a lot about health equity during this past year because we saw throughout the world sort of healthcare disparities. And, you know, I, I termed that I, I ended up writing in one of my leadership pages about health equity, but I termed the, the quintuple aim, the idea of creating healthier communities, a more robust economy by just following five pillars, right? Better care, improved outcomes, lower cost, enhanced clinician wellness and health equity. And so that was really, to me, the idea that now people are talking about the quintuple aim, I think is really, um, you know, I am very proud of that. So I think this idea of connecting during the year that was difficult to connect with the coffee with the president, 
the idea that we focused on health equity um, because the idea that everybody should have good health is such a basic thing. And I think we, when we're training and we decide to go into medicine, that is what we wanted to do. So the idea that we're embracing that now as an organization is really important. So I think there are just a whole cadre of moments. The idea that we stop, no matter how busy we are to help each other, you know, by sharing best practices, but also saying who needs help, let's help get medical resources, money to areas that all of those are the sort of, you know, kaleidoscope of memories that I have from the from a year that I think ended up being a really incredible year. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it just, uh, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of moments to cherish, right. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of beautiful things to have accomplished. And uh, as I was listening to you, I was just awe. It, it's just awe inspiring to listen to all of those accomplishments and moments that you enumerated for us that it's, um, you know, congratulations and, and thanks for inspiring, um, you know, thousands of uh, cardiologists like myself and, uh, you know, interventional cardiologists, uh, that all of this is feasible um, through vision and through passion and through um, the ability to be able to connect the dots, right? Just just before you answered this question, you sort of um, vividly described your journey within the college, you know, starting from... Um, you know, Axel and life, lifelong learning. Um, I mean, Axel, a, a lot of us listen to, I, I listen to Axel. I still have um, the uh, folders, the the CD folders, which were mailed out um, uh, to all of us. I still actually have them in the library where I'm sitting and recording this episode. Um, and then to have then connected all those dots to have reached where you reached is just such a, such a beautiful story. So thank you for sharing that with us. And, and with the audience, um, which which I think is uh, brings me to my next question, and that is, what did it mean to you representing uh, the South Asian diaspora? I mean, you know, I, I introduced uh, the episode by saying that you're the first Asian American president of the college, and and that is such a beautiful accomplishment. I mean, I, it's such a proud uh, sentence for me to say, you know, to introduce you being as being of South Asian descent myself. Uh, so, um, what what did it mean to you to represent us South Asians? No, I'm not sure that in the beginning I understood sort of the the um, the impact that it would have. But the idea, first of all, you know, at least for the American College of Cardiology, the number one ethnic group is um, Asian Americans, and so the, and they never had anybody that quote represented them. Um, although I think that I didn't see myself just representing Asian Americans. I represented all of our membership, but I will say that I think for them to see me on the podium, for me to do all of the things that I did, I think it was inspirational to many people because I heard that throughout the year that they were inspired by it. They were motivated by it. Um, and in, in fact, I will say last weekend, I was at a board meeting and um, our chair board of governors uh, Melissa Wood, you know, she said to me that she had seen me as a chair board of governors and thought, wow, she's doing a great job. I can do this. And now she's the first woman after my term that it became chair board of governors. So she thought that was inspirational. So I, over the year, heard how, how many of the Asian Americans came up to me and said, wow, we never thought that we could ever aspire to be in this kind of 
position, but now they're, they're, they're inspired. They, they recognize that the college will embrace everybody, uh, regardless of their background. Um, and so I, I think that it, it, it is a, um, symbolic thing to have that. And I really found how special that was throughout the year with all of my interactions with my colleagues. Um, I just didn't know how important that was to all of that generation. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, I can fully understand why, because people want to see somebody that looks like them um, be in those large leadership roles because it makes them think they can reach those too. So that's what I think it meant. It, it was really an important thing. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity and that I was the first to be able to carry that mantle. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully I did justice to it. Yeah, no, no, you, you certainly did. I mean, I, and I, I couldn't agree with you more that, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it, it was wonderful for me. And I'm, I'm, when I, when I say that, I know I am representing the sentiment of a lot of South, South Asians, that it was wonderful um, for, for, for all of us to see someone like you at the helm uh, take up the presidency of, of the college and, uh, you know, the college representing the largest society of cardiologists in the globe. I mean, it, it was it was fantastic. Not not only from a representation perspective, and I'm I'm going to ask you about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and and you know perhaps we can discuss one of the papers that I had an opportunity to to publish in Jack Advances, um, which delved into uh, fellowship program directors recruiting their own demographic. Uh, but you know your representation uh, at the college as the largest body of cardiologists on in the globe, I, you know, symbolically to me was also very important because, you know, the, the burden of cardiovascular disease in South Asians is immense. Um, and so to, to have uh, if a, an interventional cardiologist of South Asian descent be at the helm for the college um, was, was so appropriate and symbolic for me, for, uh, you know, I think on, on many levels. Um, what do you have to say about that and, and maybe maybe a few thoughts on how you think we should um, curb the menace of the burden of cardiovascular disease in South Asians? Well, I, you know, first of all, I think conversations like this really highlight and, and we had a recent South Asian heart disease webinar that highlighted this issue. I think many people are not aware of, of the sort of statistics around you know, South Asians and how much heart disease they have and how early it is. And that, you know, it's, it goes beyond risk factors as sometimes they can look healthy, but certainly have uh, be at risk. So I think shedding light on any issue is important. And I think we're starting to have those conversations. And part of that is the, the generation of researchers and clinicians that are of South Asian descent that have found interest in this topic and are bringing light to it. So I'm extremely pleased with that. Uh, the Masala study, for example, you know, all of this kind of work is bringing light to that. The legislation that's in, at least in, uh, in the United States is looking at maybe putting more funding dollars to look at this, this important issue. So I think that um, we need to continue to have these conversations, particularly as we talk about health equity, because we can't be providing care if we don't even have the data on some of this. So I think to understand it, to educate the larger uh, 
physician community, the cardiovascular community about these risks is going to be very important. Um, so I think we're on the right track. We, we need to just accelerate um, the work that's been done and get the word out by education. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've had the privilege to, to do work with the college, um, with the uh, practice innovation and, and clinical excellence, the, the pinnacle program in India. Um, and, um, you know, like you said, um, the burden is immense and the onset of disease is at least a decade earlier in South Asians. And um, it's heartening to see initiatives like the Masala study uh, by Namrata and Alka and, uh, you know, a couple more cohorts like that in North America where, uh, you know, researchers are beginning to understand not only the epidemiology of, of you know, cardiovascular disease in South Asians, but also the genetics and, uh, you know, what may be some of the um, genetic predispositions um, in association with some of the environmental, uh, you know, exposures and, and factors uh, that that may have led to this this epidemic of cardiovascular disease in South Asians. Um, so, you know, final few minutes on, on the show, Dr. Echaporia, what is next on the horizon for you? And uh, how do you want to inspire more women of color uh, to pursue leadership roles? Well, hopefully I've already done some of that by just, you know, in my role and interacting. I certainly have mentored um, multiple um, men and women already and continue to do so. So hopefully that will continue and I will continue to do so and be around even as past president to continue to inspire that generation of women to to say you can do this and and um, don't be afraid, have the courage, um, step up to the plate. So all of that, um, you know, I will. I am going to be joining the World Heart Federation board starting in January. I am very interested in the intersection of innovation and health equity. So I will continue to do work in that space. Um, the digital transformation is the other piece that's been very important uh, to me. And so the idea of being able to guide the guide us uh, and participate with the innovation group and Amiba, who I know has been on this show with you to say, how can we lead the next, uh, how can we continue to foray and really have successful digital transformation in cardiology? I think it's something that's very interesting to me. The idea of the intersection of health equity and innovation is something that I want to continue to help guide and look at. Um, I don't know if it, when we got cut off about PCORI, so I will be on the PCORI uh, Health Disparity uh, Committee for the next three years and then WHF. So I think I have enough on my plate right now, um, So, we'll, but I will not be disappearing. I will certainly be around and continue to, um, to be around and, and hopefully a mentor, inspire, write, do all of those things that are part of uh, important things that I th- think that are continuing to be important for the college and, and, uh, for our profession. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, more power and energy to you. And, uh, you know, these are all wonderful, um, projects and initiatives, and I'm sure they will transform through innovation, how we take care of, um, you know, patients and, you know, certainly with, with the pandemic. And I know you, you've, you mentioned, um, you know, being in, in the middle of the storm, um, when you took at the when you uh, you know took took the role at the helm with the college, um, 
health equity has is more has not been more important you know it should have been but now it's getting the limelight that it deserves uh, so thank you for for that work and uh, i i can't wait to see what you discover and, and share with us and educate us and teach us um which which brings me uh, you know to the closing remarks on on the on 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 what you think is the current environment you know in healthcare uh, and also in cardiology in light of the pandemic um and um you know also you you brought up clinician wellness so uh, maybe if you can so some of the closing remarks on on those two questions and and then maybe I'll have you uh, close the show by you know a few remarks on parallax so a couple things i i would say that the pandemic really place science under the public microscope, right? It showcased our strengths and our limitations. We learned that scientists and health professionals um, need to learn how to effectively communicate risks, benefits, latest scientific findings beyond sort of the academic and scientific arena, right? We saw it translated. And so I, I, I wonder how history are, is going to judge our performance during the pandemic. You know, are we going to be, as I said in my speech, are we going to be commended for the rapid development of vaccines and our quick pivot to leverage innovative technologies when we, you know, to allow for remote monitoring and telehealth? Or are we going to be criticized because we didn't communicate and there was a lot of perpetuation of false narratives? So I think that, um, you know, there's going to be an imperative. Science is going to continue to be under the microscope. And I think we, as a um, professional organization as a healthcare professional, we need to continue to shape history. There's no doubt that um, we're going to be looked at and judged for this time. And I think we need to continue to figure out how to build trust because I think trust is incredibly important. Um, and I, I think we need to steer uh, our, our profession in a way that we, um, we communicate more effectively, build trust, do great science, innovate. Um, we need to continue to be resilient. Um, so, and I think that as we do all of that and we do it effectively, these issues of clinician wellness are going to get better because we're part of the solution. I think there's more burnout when you don't have, uh, when you feel like you're out of control and you don't have any say in it. Um, so, you know, I think that. The silver lining from the pandemic is that it really has brought the profession and the ACC community together in ways that I don't know that we had imagined um, and really has inspired creativity, innovation, and it's, it's really strengthened our bonds around the world. And we just need to keep uh, remembering that and keep uh, confidently moving forward with that. And, you know, you can look at the glasses half full or half empty. And I think for me, you know, I, I said this, that Adam Grant, um, you know, he does a podcast, a Work Life, and he wrote in the New York Times last year that during the pandemic, the word, the dominant emotion of 2021 was languishing. And I always thought it was, for us, it was flourishing because we had many challenges, but we didn't really languish. We created, we united, we, you know, we, we advocated, we did so many different things that I, to me, for us, are your, uh, we did, we were flourishing. And I think as long as you flourish, you're happier, you deal with the issues better. So to me, that's, that's the message I want to say is that we need to continue to flourish um, the way that we did in this past year for the pandemic. 
you know, and I, I, you asked me about Parallax. I mean, I think that what you're doing uh, with this sort of discourse is the same thing that I was sort of attempting with the Coffee with the President, this idea of interaction, uh, bringing the community together to talk about relevant topics, um, get inspired, get motivated. I think that's what it's about. So I have to congratulate you on your 75th uh, episode and, you know, really encourage you to continue to do this great work um, because this is what brings us together. Yeah, no, thank you for, uh, for those, um, you know, inspiring remarks. And, uh, you know, they certainly mean um, a lot to us at Parallax and, and Ratcliffe Cardiology, but, and, and also I think your, your remarks on, on flourishing and developing a sense of community and looking at the glass half full rather than half empty. Uh, I mean, uh, just amidst adversity and uh, and gloom, you know, these are the words that everyone needs to hear and listen, listen to so that they can, uh, you know, flourish in their own respective roles and, and communities at large. Uh, Dr. Echaporia, thanks again uh, for uh, joining us for this, uh, uh, you know, marquee episode for Parallax, the 75th Platinum episode. And again, I couldn't have found uh, a better guest a better inspiration and a better voice uh, to sort of mark this um, episode for us. Um, for everyone who is listening, you know, we're always open to feedback. Uh, do write to us and do share your comments on, on social media, you know, be it Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, we take every comment uh, very seriously and we, we want to get the guests that uh, will inspire you and guests that you want to hear from hear more about their journeys. Uh, so do rate us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Uh, and again, uh, I'll see you back, uh, you know, next Monday with, with another special guest and, and another episode. So thanks again, Dr. Chapori, and, and thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.